0: Hello, and welcome to Mastering Dungeons. I am your host, Sean Merwin, here with my co-host, as always, the solar-powered Teos Abadia. Hey, Teos, what's going on?
1: Hey, Sean. Uh Indeed, today's the day that I'm getting solar uh in- installed on my roof, and uh, I'm very excited about it. And your back? I'm, it's not on my back. I, I'm, I'm trying to get them to install a port in me so that I can get charged by the panels as well, but uh, I think it's just going to have to be caffeine, so...
0: Yeah, it'll save you on coffee uh, costs. Or
1: <laughs> yeah, the like. but it can warm my uh, the coffee.
0: There you go. So uh, with that bit of nonsense out of the way, let's dig right in to the D&D news for the week. We're going to start with D&D Celebration. They have released the packages that you can purchase to enjoy D&D Celebration in a big way. Uh, For those of you who don't know, D&D Celebration is taking place September 24th through 26th. And there are two packages that they have put up, one at the $500 level and one at the $110 level, uh, each giving you advanced registration codes to get your D&D Celebration registration done early, uh, a Witchlight T-shirt, a Golden Ticket, and a 12-page uh, Heroes Feast Cook booklet uh, for the $110 package. You also get a double-sided playmat. So what uh, what's your take on this?
1: I mean, one of the questions that I had was, all right, advanced registration code. I don't... So I, do you normally pay for D&D celebration? How much is it? I don't know. I'd like to know. Um but I guess the idea is that you will get to do things like sign up for the epic or whatever special event there is first. So that, that can be useful. Um, a piece of a book. I don't know that I'm super excited about the Heroes feast booklet versus whatever the book is. You know, there's a lot of not information here. And a person like me who's detail oriented, it all drives me bonkers. But what I do know is that double-sided play mat looks super sweet. Um, I'm going with the Beatle and Grimm's version, so I imagine it's going to have some pretty neat maps. Uh But that double-sided playmat that has the carnival on one side and the sort of fey domain on the other, uh, that's super neat. And I could see that bringing in a lot of people. In it looked like it had sold out two hours in, but I think they were trying to fix a thing with the codes. Uh And and so it's, both of these are still available at the time of this recording. Though so they say, okay. you know, that they have short quantities and they're selling out quickly if you want these things.
0: Yep and we will keep an eye on registration to let you know what it exactly it is you might be registering for <laughs> because just to just to sort out some things here this is D&D celebration as opposed to the D&D live where there is no gameplay for you know just the viewers to do you're just watching news and watching other people stream as opposed to the D&D weekends virtual weekends right. where that it's only signing up to play and there's no other uh, marketing stuff involved.
1: Or, yeah, you know, and and uh, it's a bit streams. It's a bit confusing because last year there was play during D and D Live, and the year before that also. So D and D Live is usually the like star studded place uh, where we watch. And this year it happened right. We watched famous mm-hmm. people play D and D. But the, when it happened physically in L A. the last year before COVID, there were also games there. Uh, D&D celebration is after the adventure is released or as it's releasing and sort of celebrating D&D and the fact that this storyline is out. So it'll be around the time the Witchlight's coming out and that's the time that you're enjoying it. And I guess then playing, getting a taste of it, because it'll probably be organized uh, play adventures that are around the Witchlight theme, maybe an intro, something like that, maybe an epic. And that gives people the opportunity to have these neat experiences in the world of Witchlight maybe before you've even looked at the book.
0: There you go. The any awards have been announced. Uh, the any's for those of you who don't know is a long running organization tied to EN world, uh, that recognized products released over the past year from one April to the next, uh, there, people have different opinions on awards and award shows and what these awards mean. Uh, I've made mine clear, I know, and pre shows from like the last, from two years ago. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm going to step aside and, and let Teos give his uh, thoughts <laughs>
1: on this. Yeah, I think I've, I've shared my take on it too. But in, in general, it's a, it's a bit of a strange format. Uh, judges cannot be involved in the industry. So it's a little strange. I guess the idea is to eliminate bias. But what that's often meant is it's paved the way for freed up, the ability for organizations to get fans that are in their corner to apply as judges because they don't need to be in the industry. They're just fans. And now they can vote for the or nominate the, the products that they like. And so there, there have been a, a number of of uh, accusations across many, many years of specific companies doing this and padding the the judges. Um, Ennies seems to be aware of that and is trying to improve that. Um, so step one is the judges. Step two is the judges read a ton of material. It's a lot of work for these judges. And so thank you to the judges who are not there for biased reasons, (laughs) but who are there for reviewing things because it's a ton of work to look at the uh, look over these. And and I know some of the judges from past years that are good people who have done this work. It's it's an immense amount to look at all these different, uh, um, submissions they receive. And then they come up with a list of nominees, and those nominees are then eventually will be voted on by fans, which is a bit strange because you sort of have this sort of expert judgment that then is destroyed by fans who <laughs> may or may not pick the best product. They may just pick what they like. Because so we've had years where like Paizo would win every single award ever because all the Paizo fans would just show up in droves and champion it. Or we've had, you know, years when other products that were really had some issues to them, but they would win all kinds of awards because of this sort of same treatment. Um, Lately, what we've seen is that big companies don't submit products to the Ennies. They either have issues with the Ennies or they feel like it's a situation where other companies should shine. And so they deliberately don't introduce the material. So this year, a lot of the major companies, you won't see their products in in this nominee list. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So uh, this year, we see a lot from Cortex and from the Sentinel Comics RPG. Uh, A lot of free league products uh, have been nominated. James and Tricasso's My Dad's Monster Manual uh, has been nominated in the Best Monster category. That's pretty fun. Way to go, James. Uh, You can see the whole list of uh, any nominations on any-awards.com.
1: And, you know, I couldn't help but think that My Dad's Monster Manual might be, like, the last. If not, it's one of the most recent DM's Guild Adept releases. True which is kind of amazing cuz that was released a long time ago.
0: Yeah, a, a year or so ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Pod Jam 2021 uh was this weekend raising funds for the Trevor Project while providing a number of streamed seminars on the topic of podcasting and is that Pod Jam? What's What's that?
1: What's podcasting?
0: Yeah, I've never heard of it. Okay. So uh, you can go to penwichstudio slash podjam to check out more about this information if you're interested in podcasting or considering doing a podcast.
1: Yeah, I, saw, I watched some of it. I haven't been able to watch all of it, but uh, but what I did see was really cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing more, especially the some of the topics on marketing and things like that seemed interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a bit of sad news in the industry. Steve Perrin has passed away. Uh, If you don't know who Steve was, he was a legend in the role-playing game field, helping found organizations as diverse as the SCA. Uh, He wrote the game RuneQuest back in the day, Uh, one of the early employees at Chaosium. So, you know, Call of Cthulhu, you know, that rule set, which which is now the basic uh, role-playing game rule set that many different players, games work on uh, he was involved in and he was also involved in early dungeons and dragons he published his house rules in 1976 which became influential with players at the time before my time but i know that a lot of people that were playing from the beginning uh, have fond memories of you know his involvement and pulled a lot of his content and his thoughts on rules and game design you know, into their own games
1: Yeah. And and folks are interested, you know, you can look up uh, uh, DM David talks about this, uh, John Peterson, other areas you can find on the web that will talk about this era when D&D was, you know, sort of flying off the shelves in this old original Dungeons and Dragons form. And people would try to interpret these (laughs) rules because they were quite bizarre and they would come up with different ways to do them and And they would be sort of local you know this is a pre internet world, so it, they're they're sort of local areas so in the San Francisco area. Steve Perrin is kind of coming up with ideas on how to handle initiative and and things that are a little bit like skills and basically trying to make the game more robust. And this happens even as AD&D comes out, but, but the, the, the pairing conventions as they're called that he wrote up were hugely influential because tons and tons of people were using them and they'd end up in magazines and and trade write-ups. And so the whole of D&D was sort of heavily influenced by, by what he put together, which is crazy. to think about your house rules, right. Changing the game like that, but it it really is something that he managed to do, which is cool. Absolutely.
0: And you know, he's, he he worked right up until the time of his death on, ver, you know, various projects throughout the game industry. So, yeah, and he worked on all kinds yeah. of
1: supplements. Uh, you know, he wrote under Illifarn, He wrote um, one of the the Red Wizards of Thaybox. box sets. Uh, you know, a number of of, of interesting pieces um, and RuneQuest and, and oh the SCA <laughs> just, just oh you
0: know just, just the that. Society for Creative Anachronism. You know, <laughs> that's all which has. Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who uh who enjoy that hobby, yeah. so you know, uh, we will honor his passing, and for all you rules lawyers out there, be careful because d and d is about to get nerfed. you power gamers, no, we're not talking about the rules being nerfed we 're talking about the actual nerf uh, guns, so now we have foam firing gun toys,
1: <laughs>
0: and uh you know. Who owns Nerf? It's
1: Hasbro. Wow!
0: Imagine that. Well, what what could you do with that? Oh, you could make D and D branded Nerf guns, and that is just what's happened. <laughs> you want to you want to share the all the exciting news oh, yeah. for us? You've uh, got three others. models.
1: You have the uh, uh, this Dragon Power series, as it's known, includes a bow, the Skyblaze Dart Bow, a repeating gun made to look like a dragon breathing fire called Ember Strike, and a pistol called Fire Shot. They all carry the uh, D&D brand. Uh, You can find them at Target and all sorts of places like that. So uh, if you enjoy shooting people in the head with foam darts, as I often have, this is a nice way to do it. There you go.
0: Uh, We talked about Evil Hat recently for sharing some uh, information on their publishing house. And they've uh, provided even more information recently. Uh, So in 2014, uh, Evil Hat, who publishes Fate and other RPGs, shared on their blog the costs that they uh, were incurring by publishing their role-playing games. Everything from art to editing the layout, including shipping and printing, things that, you know, even if you're in the industry as a designer, you might not know a lot about. Well, they, that was pretty groundbreaking in 2014 when they put that up and they've updated that information for 2021. And I will let Teos take it from here.
1: Sure. So they, um, they, one of the neat things about this article is that it really is an update. Like they, they write it in, uh, like colored text sort of like, you know, update for 2021. So you get to see what they had in their old article seven years ago and what they have now. And so you know, back in 2014, they had the high end for writing is starting at five cents a word and the low at three cents a word. And now they say you really shouldn't be paying below five cents and the higher rates are above 10 cents. And, you know, as we know, companies like MCDM are paying 20 cents. Um, And so, so it's even, this is a little bit, you know, I could use almost an update, but, but I, I think that in general, evil hat, is a small company. They, they are trying very carefully to control their costs as many small companies do. So it's written from that perspective. Um, but it is helpful you know, if you're thinking of things like, okay, I want to hire someone for layout or I want to uh, print some books. What could that cost me? This article is a great reference that shows you how it's changed over time, where if you work on these things, you can see what companies are paying. And with the knowledge that it can be higher in costs for some companies, some companies do pay more than what you'll see on this article. Mm-hmm. And you can find that at
0: www.deadlyfriendly.com The Yawning Portal site is now telling us all about the Adventures League Mist Hunters campaign. So we've seen some adventures released, but we haven't gotten the full rundown, and now we have. So this includes rules, uh, the upcoming release schedule, downloads, including things like character sheets, Mm -hmm. um, and and the character creation information. Um, And this is great. For me, this is something that Wizards... As a whole, not just the Adventures League, but Wizards should be pushing harder to market uh, because it's a limited run campaign. I think they're going to end up being 14 adventures in the whole series. Uh, and, you know, this is something where people out there who are like, boy, I would really love to play D&D, but I don't know how, I don't know where to start. Yeah, This should be on the front page of the whole Wizards of the Coast site, and it's not. It's, yeah. you know It's still hidden in the Adventures League section, and I can understand that the Adventures League can be a different animal um, than a regular D and D game, and sometimes you know it does have its own it has its own baggage. Yeah. And I can see that there would be some players that I wouldn't want to push in that direction because of the complexity of it, because of you no know, for a lot of reasons. But this is one of those things where here are some play opportunities that anyone can get into it can be done pretty easily less uh, with less difficulty than a normal big organized play campaign. And this should be being pushed.
1: I also think that if they could find a way to give stores a few download codes for the DMs Guild ventures that count as sales, right? So Wizards is paying. Um, so generate sales for the authors and the stores could get these copies. Would be fantastic because stores used to get kits for things like the mm-hmm. encounters, and even early AL. And it made a big difference to have that stream of communication going out to every store saying, Hey, here's this exciting thing. Here's something your players can jump into. And this is the kind of program that would be fantastic for this, right? You would see some real excitement around this. Um, and, and, and you'd see stores start to organize around this because it's an easy program to run. And it's more story heavy. So you don't need people who are super into the rules to, to be able to do it. It's new player friendly. And it's very thematic with this whole recent book. Uh you, you know, Van Richten's is on their shelves at pretty much any store out there. Um it'd be great.
0: Yeah. And and this is a step in the right direction, which is better than we've seen at some point. You know, sure. you can you can see that that Chris Tulak and Chris Lindsay are sort of working together and you know, they, they, they've each been in charge of the organized play part of, of wizards for a bit and in the indie side. So, you know, seeing them come together and, you know, learn the, the lessons they've learned each individually can come together to build this. I would love to see something like this, but it may be only four adventures, uh, you know, in, and then have it be done just to get to those people that can focus for four sessions and then they sort of lose interest to get them through something to the end, uh, I think is important, but I, I'm going to try to run this. I've played the first adventure uh, with you online. Uh, but you know, this is something that I, I, the limited scope of it, uh, I think is, is a huge draw for, for both, you know, existing players and new players. Agreed. With that we will move on to DM David. Speaking of David Hartledge, he has an article on something we talked about last week which is confidence and faking it. Uh, we, we you know we said if you are a DM you should not worry about getting things wrong. You should just go in guns blazing and have fun and do your thing and then reflect later on you know, how it went. But while you're doing it just go. And, uh, you know, DM David discusses this in his latest uh, article, Confidence, you know, why faking confidence makes you a better dungeon master.
1: Yeah, it's a nice short uh, read. And just really, it's about that sort of high level. It's, it's not one of those articles that's full of tips, detailed things. It really is this. Just go for it and just do it. and And you don't have to achieve complete mastery to... Have that confidence, you can just portray it. you can just be emphatic and say, "You know, we'll look at that roll up later, let's keep going. Here's what we're gonna do in this case, and it works. just great,
0: yep, yep, I mean, and what what do players want a they want a game, and b they wanna feel safe within the game, and c, they want to think that the person running them through the game knows what they're doing, and if you look like you know what you're doing the players are going to feel like, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. uh, And they're going to enjoy the game for it. So check that out at dmdavid.com. So with news safely out of the way, we will now go into part two of our 2 billion part series, or (laughs) maybe less on running and designing intro adventures. So last week, we covered important considerations for new DMs, running games for the first time, or a DM deciding how to handle running games for new players. So last week, we covered things like setting up the session, what to tell the players, how to manage their expectations, what you should be thinking about as the DM. And then we addressed the old, do we do character creation or do we use pre-gens discussion for new players? So, with that out of the way, now we're going to move on to the next big question, which is
1: what should we be running
0: for these new players or as a new DM? And that's a tough question,
1: right? I mean, like if you just step back and imagine you're a brand new DM, you go into a gaming store, whether it's, I mean, it could be a Target, it could be a hobby shop, it could be a lot of things, it could be Amazon, and you're looking at all these offerings. Does anything immediately say, start here? No. Right. Not really. This is a tough question.
0: Yeah. Uh, Even, even the, uh, the box sets don't really say start here, right? They say the essentials kit and they say these things, but they don't really say, Hey, brand new right here. And you could even see
1: the word start in starter set, but also stranger things, starter set. And then okay. the uh, dragons of ice spirit peak essentials kit feels like a starter set. Right. Well, yeah, I'm and confused.
0: That, and not to mention the Rick and Morty
1: uh, box. set, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so there's all of those things. And if you ask someone, Hey, you're experienced playing D and D, what should I start with? You're going to get like, as I asked on Twitter, you're going to get hundreds of different answers. Mm-hmm. So we're going to break down some of those choices you might have and then talk about what makes for a good opening session adventure. So as we mentioned, there are literally infinite choices for what you can run because in addition to the tens of thousands of products you can choose from in stores on the DMs guild all over the place, um, you could also make your own. So right there, you're, you're talking uh, an infinite amount. So when I asked on Twitter, what people, would suggest for a new DM to run. There were two overwhelming f- favorites and neither are really surprises. There's the DM, uh, the D and D beginner box, which includes the lost minds of Phandelver adventure and the D and D essentials kit, which contains the dragon of ice fire peak adventure. I also got some suggestions to use the one hour Adventurers league intro adventures that they put out at the start of every season, uh, what I was surprised to see is that almost no one suggested any of the hardcover adventures to, for beginner DMS. Um, and it, I was not surprised that no one suggested it uh, because I understand why, but I, with all the other things flying around, I was surprised that that, you know, wasn't more of a discussion.
1: It's, yeah. It's super interesting because all these adventures make a point to start at level one. So in theory, shouldn't they all be good for new DMs? And yet, we all know the answer to that one.
0: Yeah, they're 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 really not because of the length of the campaign that that follows, generally
1: yeah. speaking. Well, and and just even the premise. I mean, and it's not just you know old folks like us that have some bias critical look at you know what an adventure is it's really interesting to hear people who come with a new voice and they'll have a video out there where they'll say you know i really loved the theme of tomb of annihilation and then only as i started to work with it did i realize this and that and the other and all these problems and that actually i don't really want to murder all of my care my players uh, characters off and you know it's it's just it's really hard to choose the right start
0: So all of these that we've mentioned can be a good place to start because, but each has uh, some pros and cons that we'll we'll look at and discuss throughout the rest of this episode. Now, before we do any of this, we need to acknowledge that the nature of D and D means that there's different DMing sensibilities, different desires from players, different player types. So, we may give a a pro for one box and a con for, you know, a box. And you may say, well, that con is my pro. And, and I, I would say you are, I'm sure you're right, but you may not be the typical uh player DM. So just yeah, keep for that sure. in mind as we, as we discuss these. So let's start with where it all started. Lost minds of Fandelver in the D and D beginner box in this adventure. Uh, you get pre-generated characters, and you start off uh, with with a goal, essentially, with a task, and that task sends you uh, toward the uh, the town of Fandolin, and then the, the hijinks commence from there. So let's talk about some pros and cons. Uh, the the pro one pro I already mentioned. It's it includes pre-generated characters that are at least somewhat tied to the setting.
1: Yeah, it's nice, uh, so, right? Their their yeah. their backgrounds, ideals, all of that have ties to the town that they're in, and and the major agents at the beginning of the adventure is cool.
0: Yep. So uh, so that is is good. If you choose to go the pre-generated character route, you have those at your disposal. They're pretty pretty easy to understand and to use. Uh and that can uh, grease the skids for new players in getting into the character that they're going to be playing. Uh, any other pros that you wanted to mention?
1: No, um yeah, I think that's that you you know the, the box does it's I don't know if we mentioned this I missed this but uh the box comes with a basic form of the rules, right? Which is nice mm-hmm. too. So you you yep. you don't need anything other than this box. You've got the dice, you've got the pre-gens you, you kind of have everything you need and don't have to buy more if you don't want to.
0: Yep. And, and for leveling, um, you know, that's, that's given right in the character sheets and in those rules as well. Uh, so it, it explains things relatively easily, uh, when you do advance and level and another pro I would say is that there, there is a full story involved in this adventure. Um, it, uh, it, you can see the seeds of the ending of the adventure in the beginning of the adventure. So, if you are a type of DM or a type of player, or you have the types of players that want to go on like this longer, grand, heroic quest, it's all right there for you. You don't have to add too much to it, um, to, to get to that point. Yeah. So, uh, overall, you know, many, 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 many people cut their teeth on fifth edition with this uh, with this box set. And most of the time people had mostly good things to say about it, which should tell you that it, it's a strong uh, contender for, you know, the best way to start an adventure.
1: I mean, I would be a little harsher on it in that I would say it's reasonable, but. I, I think the, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is that it is not some, Oh yeah. If you're ever writing a, a starter set or an intro adventure here, just hundred percent copy this. Right. No, it works well, but man, it could be better. Right. And
0: yes. Oh, for sure. And that's, and that's why, why we're this having is, this discussion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if you are like going to create your own here, are, you know, here are the good things from it. Now let's talk about the things that, that could be improved upon. Um,
1: yeah. So I'll start with one that I think of about almost every single D and D convention experience where new players are treated. And that is you give the fighter their character sheet. Cool. You give the rogue their character sheet. Great. You give the wizard their character sheet and they go, great. How do all these spells work? Oh, hold on. Let me grab my player's handbook, right? Nothing ever breaks down spells and spell casting for brand new players that just got a pregen. And it's the same thing here. And it's the same thing in every one of these things. There isn't anything that says, hey, those spells, here's how they work. Here's the shortcut version. Here's the one pager that walks you through your spells. And that is a major thing that every convention intro game should have and every product like this should have and you don't get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And sure, you they have the rule book and you could hand them the rule book. Mm. But if they're flipping from magic missile to you know this, to that... Having everything right on one page and making a simplified version of it uh, is is as Teo said. It's imperative that you do that. Yeah. Otherwise, the you know the people that are excited to play the spellcaster suddenly aren't so excited to play the spellcaster anymore when they have to do all of this flipping and there's so much text to to pour through um, and so many of the the minor rules that um, can be confusing. They, they get they get hit with it right away. Yep. Uh, another con is there is a difficult choice for the players in this adventure right from the start. And it happens. We're going to spoil this, but it's been around forever. So yep. here we go. Uh, there's a goblin ambush. And at the end of the ambush, the characters essentially have a choice to either go to the goblin lair or go to town. Yep. Yeah and it's that is a major choice to make for players that probably don't know the consequences of those choices so if if they go to town right away they lose the thread of what's going on because now they're in town. Now they start dealing with the problems in town and the NPCs in town. And we need to get lodging. How do we do that? And, you know, a different part of the game then kicks in before they've really gotten into the heart of what this adventure is about, which is finding the people that hired them in the first place to, to come to town.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that, and we, we could have a show on choices. Uh, and I've been writing about choices on the blog. Uh, and, and this is the thing that sort of kills me when, when I, you have to wonder, why is this choice here? And if it is, why doesn't it come with all the information that it should have? And those are the kind of things that as a DM, you can really get derailed, right? Because as a DM, you might read this and think, well, okay, and then we're going to go to the goblin ambush because that's clearly how this adventure is laid out or, or to the goblin lair. And then your players go to town and, and you might not even prep the town. And so now you're like, ah, oh, you're floundering. And that's the worst. You never want your DM on an intro adventure to be unprepared. Right. 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 Oh, so yeah. bad. <laughs> yep.
0: and, and it's very simple to add details that incentivize uh, players to do a, to do a thing you can still give them a choice, but you can make uh, the choice very obvious of which one is right. Uh, The, the gobbled ambush, it, I, I had to recheck. Um, It does say that, uh, that um, this caravan, this wagon that was, uh, that was used in the ambush that was ambushed earlier belonged to the rock seeker, dwarf who hired you and if you highlight that if you say you know there's blood there's obvious drag marks where the goblins have dragged human sized people away toward the mountain uh, then it becomes there are signs of struggle along right. the way then it becomes clear that these people may be in danger right now right they're alive we need to go yeah we need to go that way and otherwise especially if this first encounter really messes up the characters which we'll talk about the swinginess of first level sure. character combats later but uh you know if that really messes them up they may be incentivized to rest to go to town to heal because oh if if these 3 or 4 goblins did this to us if there's a whole layer of them yeah we don't stand a chance
1: and I think that's something that, you know, we've seen a lot from running countless uh, adventures in organized play, right? It, when you run adventure after adventure after adventure for all kinds of different players, you see these kinds of issues and you learn to recognize. And hopefully when you and I write things, we do less of that because we've seen so many times where these kinds of things throw players off, right? The lack of clarity. And and it can seem like, well, I don't need to say that it's obvious, but no players can come up with all kinds of ideas and the tiniest little bit of information can throw the whole group into a, you know, let's rest for the night kind of, uh, Mm -hmm. thing. And so if you, if you want your players to go on a rescue, you need to tell them that you, you really do. You can make it seem like they came up with it. And what's funny about it is a very little bit of information, but strong information Will have that effect of causing the whole group to think they came up with the idea of chasing the goblins, but you are really yeah. routing them that way, right? So it doesn't feel like a railroad. It's not like you have to; you want to, and that's and that's important. Yeah,
0: and yeah, and to not to get too teacherly, writerly, but one word can make the, all the difference in the world. Yeah, right. Saying that there's a trail that the goblins take, saying that there's a bloody trail that the goblins take. And that they're dragging the something was dragged right, here, right? Right. One word can, can set off yeah. an entirely different process for thinking and acting and making
1: decisions. There's another, so, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's another thing here, which is if an intro adventure really is going to be an intro adventure, I feel like it should be instructional. And I think there's a worry that older established DMs will frown on that, but I don't think they will. I think generally it's welcome advice and just having little sidebars or call out boxes that help you with this. That's really important because the DM often will read the words and not actually know the intent of the adventure around something like what we're talking about. And so if you have a little callback that says, Hey, the intent is really for the characters to go to the goblin layer." They may come up with other options here 's how you can handle that that 's really welcome advice for most DMs and will really help them understand you know tip them off to you know have, this is a great time to have them do skill checks any the best check reveals the following will reveal clues that yeah. tell them that hey they're, the people are alive they're kidnapped you know that kind of thing and that 's yeah. the kind of thing that that makes for great play and makes for a confident dm
0: Uh, The next con is it's, it's a con, but it's a very hard con to get around. And that is the town of uh, Fandolin can be confusing and overwhelming for a new DM. And it's not even a very big town, uh, but there's just a lot of information that's presented as a big lump. Mm -hmm. Um, So, When you are presenting like that first town that the characters come to, that first area that's going to act as their home base, present the information in a way that is digestible by new DMs in a way that highlights the important things that they need rather than dumping everything on them all at
1: once. Yeah, I feel like this is an homage to the towns that appear in adventures like Hamlet in Temple of Elemental Evil, which is great because we all had fun experiences of sort of walking around the town and talking to the various people, but those adventures also had sort of less going on and it was, and it was easier. Some of the experience was just rambling around and you can do that. But here we have a lot of NPCs, some of which are members of factions And, and, and there, there are quests throughout, but some quests may be better to do now versus later. And so it gets quite confusing for a DM to know how to orchestrate this experience. And I think that's, again, where if you had these call outs or if you divided the information up differently, you could make for a better experience, right? So a couple of things that adventures can do. and, And if you're writing your adventure, you can do is create sectors of the town. Like if you had the outer farmland, Right, sort of outer outer farming homes, those could have a couple of clues that point you inwards Mm -hmm. towards quests. Uh, Then you could have the inner areas, which could be sort of some commerce type things where players can go shopping and and gather info and then actual specific quest locations that can give you those quests and narrow those down would probably make a better experience. And we'll see later the whole idea of uh, quests being introduced in phases, which is also really good. Yep.
0: Another thing you can do, and it's similar to what Taylor's just said, is when they first come into a town, have something happening that they must interact with. Yeah, good call. Uh, You know, there's a there's a meeting going on at the town square talking about the goblin raids that have been happening or, you know, someone approaches them and said, we just saw goblins running this way. And so, again, that points them back toward what what you want them to stay focused on, which is the goblins at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, moving past the town, there are some encounters that are surprisingly hard. Uh the the green dragon comes to mind. It generally warns you, so this is not a major misstep of the adventure, but but there are some some places that are, you know, a DM may not know. And again, if they had those call outs that said, this is what the encounter difficulty is likely going to be then that would be helpful.
0: Yep. I I agree. Uh, so now let's move on to the next big box set, um, the Ice Spire Peak Adventure of the Essentials Kit. So I think what probably Teos and I are going to agree on here is that you can tell lessons were learned. Yeah. And so we're going to have a lot more pros than cons in this one. Um, so for the first pro, Well, for the first, for, first of all, let's describe this adventure. This adventure also takes place in Fandlin. So it's got very much the same town, but the town is now presented, uh, as as a base right from the start. And there is no coming into town on a quest. You are just there. And what's then the focus, what gets people moving a quest board. So that's the first pro, uh, you now as the DM can decide what quests you want to give your players. You can still give them choices. You could put three quests or four quests or just one quest on the board that lets you prepare for the choices that the characters are going to make and not be surprised or be less surprised. Let's say, because players can do anything, but less surprised uh, when they make their choice.
1: Yeah. And and I like that this adventure starts with a little more guidance, a little more of a, you know, here's the overview and then here's sort of your, your role in it. Um, we still have a town full of places to visit, but we have really shrunken down from having quests in all kinds of different places to there are interesting locations where you can have conversations and maybe buy things and whatever. But you're going to get these quests from Harbin Wester, the quest giver, and they're going to put these out and, you know, slip these things out the door with these right. set of quests that will get replaced as you do some It's it's almost video gamey, but it works great because it, it allows the DM to control the flow of information. It creates one stable place where the players are going to go to get their next, uh, you know, to do. Um, and that's exactly it. I, th- I think some people fault, I don't know how you feel about this, Sean, but some people fault that this is a bit of a, you know, small quest type doling out that, that that can get a little repetitive or boring, but I don't know if I've found that.
0: No, I've, I've run both and you know, it, a lot depends on your players. And like I said before, if your players want this linear sort of story where you learn about this threat and that threat introduces you to the next threat, then, um, then you have to add that to ice spire peak but it's easier to add that than to try to deal with a linear adventure when the characters aren't following that line.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so so this sort of quest-based, uh, quest board type of adventure lets DMs more easily add their own content if things go wrong. Because if you're a li- in a linear adventure and your players do something strange and they go off in this direction, it's harder to create content that – satisfies their thing while getting them back on track. With this quest type of thing, if they for some reason are super interested in this NPC that's really nobody interesting, but for some reason they're focusing on it, you can just move a quest over and have that person give the quest or create your own quest that captures that person's story.
1: Yeah. One thing that I really like about this adventure as well is it there is a joy to the writing and the loca- around the locations that really comes through it's it's clever in a compelling fun way the kind of thing when you read it as a dm you're like oh i want to run this mm-hmm. oh this is going to be fun yeah and and it's it's just i mean i remember reading this i can i can think of where i was when i was reading this and just thinking okay i still have a lot to learn as an author like here's the kind of adventure you know that just says to me keep going there are more doors to open and and better words and and better ways to create fun because there's some really great fun pieces in all these different quests that will excite a DM to run them
0: yeah and it gives you the flexibility to build your own story yeah uh which which I think is saying what you're saying just in a little different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the dragon, that's the the main foe, can be anywhere. Yeah. And so you can have the uh, freedom to put the dragon in the path of the characters at any point. Now, you don't want to do that to kill them. Right. right. But, like when I was running it for my family, what I did was they went to these mines to strike a deal with these dwarves and they did. They, they struck a deal with the dwarves and the dwarves were like, okay, see you later. We're going to go. And they walked, the dwarves left the mine and got eaten by the dragon <laughs> while, while the characters watched uh, and, uh, and then started sniffing into the cave to see if there's anything else in there. Oh, that's great. So, you know, and so you could just do things like that and you're not yeah. destroying the linear story. Right, uh, you're building your own story, which is what in the long run, you know, you probably want to do as a DM anyway, is start creating your own stories.
1: Yeah. Um It's also worth noting, since we're talking about adding content, that on D&D Beyond, they kind of worked, I guess, in sort of partnership with D&D to create additional adventures that you can find on D&D Beyond that are also really well-regarded. And I think one of the things that some of the the... People who have played them lament is that they aren't widely available because they're they really are very good, and I think did you write one of them
0: uh I wrote one, James and wrote one, and will doyle wrote yeah. one yeah, so they they ex- yeah they extend it through like tenth level uh if you want to continue the story, but the, as Theo said, they are only available right now in d and d beyond yeah um if you buy the the box set, it comes with a code in the box set that you can get them for free right. Uh, so, or you can buy them on D and D beyond separately. Uh, the other, another pro that I loved were the quest cards, Mm -hmm. magic item cards, initiative trackers, those sorts of things, uh, because players love to be handed something for the most part, right? They love to get the the handout or the little card that reads over what the quest is. Oh, you found the potion of healing. Here's your potion (laughs) of healing card with, you know, with the, with the writing right on it that tells you what it does. And, you know, those, those, they're, they're small things, but they can really add ambience and fun to a game for players.
1: Yeah. And especially younger players, they love to be able to hold things and and bring things out and have reminders that are physical. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, One of the cons of, of Icefire peak is some of those uh, low level encounters are really, really hard. Uh, And there we could probably say this about almost every <laughs> adventure that has been published because low level play is just so hard right. in general so swingy
1: but there uh, are there are some cases where you look at the monster that's been chosen and you think it's going to get several rounds of attacks because it has enough hit points to last several rounds and that's gonna really hurt a lot of characters, and yep. and so one of the things that happened when it came, first came out is people, you know, were were having these tough experiences, and going, "Wow, you've got a yeah. you should you should have warned DMs on these encounters that hey, this is a hard encounter. Here's yeah. some ways to handle that, and and we don't get yeah. that kind of guidance.
0: Yeah, there, there's a manticore encounter, yeah, that's particularly vicious, uh, but. Oh, there was one more thing I was going to say, but I can't remember what it is now. Hmm. But yeah, you know, overall it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very good place to, to start as a new DM.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a really good one. Um, it just, it just needs a little more. This the, the, the way I feel about it. like the writing's great. The, the, the mechanic of it, how it's all set up is pretty good. If it had a little more guidance, a little more handling, um, hmm. some of these other things we talked about, it would just be, you know, a gold level, right? Like, yeah, something you would really aspire to, to look at anytime you were doing something, but it's close.
0: Yep. Uh, one of the area, one of the places where a lot of people may have started with D and D is the stranger things starter set. Uh, this is true because stranger things came out. It became a phenomenon on Netflix. And since it nostalgically showed, you know, the protagonist playing D and D and D was a central uh, aspect of the show. Uh, when the D&D uh, Stranger Things starter set came out, probably a lot of people grabbed that. Yeah. And to I, I'm going to be honest with you, I have not read it. Yeah. So I'm well, going can, to turn this over yeah, to you. Yeah,
1: I can talk about it. In fact, when it came out, one of the fun things I did is I, I sat down with my son and I had him look at the um, the first Lost Mine of Fandelver starter set and the Stranger Things starter set and say, which do you like better? Um, and my son at the time was in middle school, I think. And so, yeah. And so he, uh, he looked at both and how the, the books are laid out. One interesting thing is the layout is different, um, in various ways. And he preferred the Lost Mine layout. He thought it was clearer and, and more interesting in the way it was set up. Um, the, the adventure, Hunt for Thessal Hydra, is very interesting and it has some really strong prose. Very fun concept. I mean, you're selling on the brand. If I came here for Stranger Things, this is an adventure that we get fiction in how it's written up that says, hey, Mike Wheeler, the character on the show that plays the DM for everybody, uh, Mike Wheeler wrote this. And you sort of get his somewhat his notes a little bit. And again, I wish they'd really leaned into that and said more about how to run it in Mike's voice, which I think would have been Perfect. And you right. get some of that, but it's not really guidance. It's more like flavor. And if it had yeah. been guidance, I think it really would have nailed it. Um, it's fairly linear and simple, you know, go into this cave network, then do this thing, then this other cave network. Um, what's interesting is on d Beyond, it actually reads a lot better because the physical form, something about the way it's laid out and, and formatted I find to, to be confusing. And my son felt the same way. He was like, I'd rather run lost mine, uh, just the way it's laid out. Um, and again, just a lack of guidance given, which makes it hard. And some of the encounters are hard for low level PCs who may not know what to do around pacing. It, it sort of feels like you need to do it all quickly. Um, but you know, those encounters and what you're fighting adds up. Uh, at the end, you do, you get, you do get to fight a Demogorgon like in the series, though it's not at all hard the way that it is in the movie, which, or show, which, which may be a disconnect. Um, and then you fight a Thessal Hydra at the end, uh, which is kind of fun. Nice. So I, I'd say it's okay, uh, but it's, it's not, it's not what I would have loved to have seen to, to leverage that, that Stranger Things connection.
0: Okay, um, another suggested starting point would be the Adventures League Intro Adventures, uh, and they. I'm going to start with the con here. The con of that is that Adventures League comes with red tape. Uh, it comes with all the rules that are specific to the Adventures League.
1: And, and I can of just quickly and- say it doesn't yeah. have to, right? Because realistically, right. I can grab one of these Intro Adventures. And like anything on a shelf in a gaming store, I can run it, but it doesn't feel that way. I didn't want to say that.
0: No, no, it's, it's true because the first two or three pages of Adventures League Adventures. Well, it's now down to one page, but you know, it gives all of this background about the rules and how you need to, you know, run it to be an Adventures League Adventure and, and the special rules around it. So, you know, you can run it without that. Uh, And if you're going to run for new players, even if they're going to play under adventures league rules, talk about adventures league as little as possible and focus on the game as much as possible, because I cannot tell you how many times I've seen new players come to a table when, with an adventures league DM and it's a great DM. They're very excited. You know, they're masters at, at running games, but they spend too much time talking about the Adventures League stuff, and sometimes because they're so excited about it, sometimes because they don't like it, but it always overshadows the actual game.
1: Yeah, so absolutely.
0: If you, if you do pick up one of these to run, uh, just remember that. Don't worry about the Adventures League stuff at the at the time and, with new players. Just get
1: them into the yeah. game. And I away. I believe the newer adventures are moving the rules to the back of the adventure rather than to the front. Which I don't know that I can claim credit for it, but I know that I did it. I had not seen it when I did it in Cloud Giant's Bargain, and that was much better because you just start with an adventure. If you want to know about the Adventures League, you go to the appendix and you look up that info, right? And that yeah. works a lot better. So DMs who are running AL just Skip those first pages. You don't need them. Get to the adventure. Yep.
0: yep. Now, all of these, or I should say, most of these adventures uh, are at the start of any, every new Adventures League season. Um, and they're between like three to five short, uh, one hour to one and a half hour adventures that are generally self contained. So you don't need to know a big ongoing story. You can just sit down. Uh, they're pretty easy to prep at short on short notice. Um, there's generally less material to to worry about. Uh, so that's one of the pros of this is it's not a lot of investment in terms of having to read a whole adventure to know what's going on. You can generally just read each one to two page short adventure yeah. and get the feel for it.
1: Yeah, I love the structure of, of most of the seasons. Where if you get, if you look up any season, right? So we're talking about the hardback books. You look up, um, you know, the, the, the Tyranny of Dragons season. You look up the Princes of Elemental Evil. Any of these, those, the first adventure in that series that you find on the DM's Guild, uh, which will have a zero one on it, um, it will almost always be, not always, but the vast majority of them are sort of a set of five or so really short adventures. And they're great. And I think for many of us, the gold standard is Defiance and Flan, uh, which Sean wrote. Um, this, you know, you've talked about this on the encoded design website of, of what you're, and even on the show of what you set out to do with it. And you just really nailed it. And, and what it does is it gives you different tastes of the different pillars of play. Uh, varied experiences that you can have and all in a very short format that as a DM, if I'm just going to give people a taste of D and D or try it out with my group, I can just use this. It, some of them can even run in 30 minutes, but 30 minutes to an hour experience very focused, easy to run, don't have too much going on, yet it's open play, like it feels very open and there's breathing room in it. And it's great fun. Uh, the same is true of Treasures of the Broken Horde and, and really all the other intros are good too. It's just, I think those two in particular for me really provide great examples of play or even Ice Road Trackers, which you wrote, wrote for, um, for the, the current season of the rhyme of frost Maiden, And I think that one also has, you know, really nice experiences that a lot of judges just love or DMS, I should say the adventures league DMS run love running over and over again.
0: Yeah. I saw a tweet from, um, Thomas Valley who mm-hmm. runs games or he runs conventions down in Florida, as well as associated with some of them in Wisconsin. And he basically said, Hey, AL, we need more of these. Yeah. Uh, They're very easy for a convention organizer to get DMs for. If if you're running one every hour, you don't have to force someone to miss, you know, some sort of session or, or a panel that they want to go to for four hours when they yeah. can just do it in an hour. Uh, a couple more cons of these. Uh, the ones that I wrote, and so, uh, you know, up to season 10, basically – weren't written necessarily to teach dms how to dm you know it doesn't say here's how initiative works it doesn't do all that stuff uh because the understanding is adventures league dms will probably know what what they're doing or you know at least be willing to put in some work to to get up to speed um so they don't step you through things the only uh the one that does that is not one that was written by me but it was written written by a Ben Heisler and, um, Paige Leitman Page Paige Leitman, uh, which is, uh, 10 dash one, that one frozen North. Yeah. The frozen North it's linear. So you have to play the first one. Then you play the second one. Then you play the third one, uh, but they are short one hour things and they do, uh, actually take the time to, to do a little bit of teaching along uh, with DMs and the the last uh con for for these adventures league intro adventures is they don't necessarily have a bigger story behind them. Uh, many of them were just written without knowledge of what the the adventures League series that followed would be. They were just sort of setting up a theme or setting up a tone or setting up a location uh, so you you can't get just the those five one hour adventures and have like a level one to twenty story behind it. Sure, uh, you would have to either play the season that's behind it or create your own stuff from there.
1: What I love about this short format is, you know, I would often run these in game stores. Like I would travel for work to some place, and so I'd end up in you know Houston, Texas, or Cleveland, or wherever, and I'd find a game store. And be like, uh, "Are you running Adventures League? Uh, no. Do you want to? Sure. Okay. How about I show up? <laughs> I'll run it on Wednesday and." <laughs> And, and I would, you know, break out one of these and I would just run for a few players through 30 minutes to an hour. And they would almost say, can we play another one right now? And yes. that's exactly what you want, right? You want that? Yes, yes, we can, right?
0: Yep, yep. And then, you know, tell them, hey, if you like this, there's a whole season yeah. that's similar or that continues the story. Yep. That's or when you that, tell them about the yeah. adventures League, right? Yeah. Exactly. Only then. Yeah. Do you then say, okay, well, go to this website and it tells you yeah. the rules on how to level your character and,
1: and so on. Yeah, And there's a hardback then, book that provides yeah. the greater experience too. And... Exactly.
0: Then they're hooked. Yeah. Then they are ready to learn a little more about some of the red tape or bureaucracy that's involved in the Adventurous League. And they're willing to do it to continue this experience. So. We've talked about some different things. Um, So next time, what we're going to do is talk about what we would love to see in an ideal introductory adventure. Uh, Talk about some pitfalls for, you know, these adventures as well as pitfalls when you're running uh, games for new gamers. And we will continue the series next week and probably a little bit beyond. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, you can become a patron of our show by going to patreon.com slash mmp. And thank you to those of you who are already patrons. Uh, Teos, social media
1: and you give me the highlights. Well, we began with a gentle candlelight dinner. Oh, you, you, you can find me. At Alphastream on Twitter, uh, my blog, alphastream.org. My latest deals with flowcharts and whether they are the secret that makes an adventure wonderful. Mm.
0: Huh, <laughs> I have a feeling that I know the answer to that. <laughs> you, you might. Sean, where can we find you?
1: Uh,
0: you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can follow the podcast's Twitter at MasteringDND. Or you can talk to us on the Misdirected Mark, Mark forums At forums.misdirectedmark.com Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production Hey, Teos So, what are we going to do now?
1: We're going to kill some monsters But we're with lots of DM guidance So we know exactly what we're doing And the players have an awesome time
0: That sounds like Something we should talk about next week